This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everybody, to K Goleso. That's right. Jonathan Johnson here, filling in for Luis Miguel Echegaray this Tuesday. James Benj. Hopefully, Mike Lahoud and I will be picking through Liverpool against Manchester United, Inter Milan versus AC Milan, and lots more. K Goleso begins right now. Everybody, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, a friendly welcome to uh, James Bench, who will be joining me for the start of this, hopefully to be joined by Mike Lahoud very soon. James, how are you doing? Yeah, great. Uh, just fresh from uh, an increasingly familiar... I mean, you know, I love games like Liverpool-Manchester United because from a purely professional point of view, I mean, you're done at half-time. Like, easy peasy. I knew how this was game was going about five minutes in. So, uh, yeah, report was written nice and early. Um, you know, beer after this, happy days. Well, to be honest, given the way that United's form has been of late, you probably could have had some of that match report written before you even sat down to, to watch the game. It's it, it just feels so predictable at this moment in time that, that United will fall flat in, uh, in, in these big games. I mean, did you... You know, were you surprised at the way that Liverpool were able to to dismantle United? I mean, looking at the the scenario now, Liverpool back on top of the Premier League at least temporarily until Manchester City play. United's top four hopes, uh, you know, up in jeopardy once more. I mean, you know, was this really anything other than what we expected coming into the game? Yeah, it absolutely was. I mean, see, so, so you see that the lineup come out, and it's clear that United are playing a back five. Uh, and you know you kind of can extrapolate things from that, like you know they'll they'll keep things compact, they're, and they've probably got an eye on Arsenal, and that's fine. Um, you know, playing Arsenal on Saturday, maybe they should, um, you know, think we'll focus on that. We'll just see if we can get a point from this. We're not going to go hell for leather. Um, but, <laughs> but they played with a back five and about sixty yards of space between the front, uh, between the the forwards and and the the back line. Um, Harry Maguire. I know we do, we talk about the errors he commits a lot, but you know the, these are ultra basic things. Like if you are tracking a forward into midfield, don't let him turn and put pick a pass. I mean, you know, you you kind of saw Phil Jones being bared down on by Alexander Arnold, Mane, and Luis Diaz, and you're thinking, is this fair? Is this you know is this reasonable thing? Um, and so this is you know. Without wishing to kind of go into to cliches of this is Manchester United, it is Manchester United's one of their biggest away games of the season. It, it's a hugely significant moment, and I think even after everything we've said about how this team acts like it's on the beach, how it doesn't want to be there, I was still shocked at the lack of application of the first forty-five minutes, the lack of intensity, the lack of a plan. Some of that falls on Ralph Rangnick, but this was unacceptable. <laughs> from the footballers and uh, you, you know, they, they act and have acted for years with impunity. Like they can get away with anything, but, uh, and Ranyuk has not been a great addition to the coaching staff and, you know, has not 
solved many of the problems, but like this was years of chickens coming home to roost. It was absolutely diabolical and um, the sort of game that would make you want to sack your playing staff if that were possible. I'm delighted to say that we're joined by Mike Lahoud finally. Uh, I'm not, uh, not not so happy to be bringing Mike in at this point of the chat because I know from the, the, the Manchester United point of view, that must have made for pretty difficult listening, but also would have made for really difficult watching as well. It's good to see you, JJ. It's good to see you, Avenger. And before both of you start, let me take a, a just a, a sip of water and just... Oh. Before I go on my damn rant today, Harry Maguire, we'll start with you. What the hell? <laughs> what was that? It fought for three of the goals. We'll spare him the fourth. It fought for three of the goals, all three goals before the fourth landing because he doesn't track his runner. The first goal, he doesn't even go with Mane. Sadio Mane could be up for Ballon d'Or because of this game alone. Just shambles, shambles FC. That's or shambles United. I wish it was FC. Shambles United. It was, it was as a United fan, it's just so hard to watch. And, and I agree with Benj, what you said about just lifeless, listless, uh, always going to be a difficult game, but to go into Anfield and play a 3-4-3 for one of the first times we've seen in a long time. I didn't agree with that. That was, I just thought Phil Jones coming into the game like that, oh, always going to be difficult. And it just washes away any hype, any half belief that this team built in that thrilling victory against Norwich. And I know it's Norwich, but you still have to beat who's in front of you. And it's just, and this photo sums it up. <laughs> Harry Maguire, it's just, it gets worse and worse and worse. He needs the England camp to come sooner rather than later because he seems to show up for England, just not for Manchester United. Well, before we get deeper into the Manchester United chat, uh, you know, obviously all credit to Liverpool, uh, you know, still had to go out there, get the result, did so, uh, you know, minimal fuss. Uh, and a lovely touch as well from the fans since we last did the podcast uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and his family, uh, you know, had some dreadful, uh, tragic news. Uh, and I think that the, you know, the football community came together as, as it does so well at times like these, uh, you know, was, you know, put their, their behavior was very touching, uh, you know, and, and, and in very good taste, I feel at, uh, at Anfield with the, the, the tribute in the seventh minute to the Portuguese superstar and his family at this desperately sad uh, time. Uh, and overall, uh, you know, I think as well, Liverpool just, I mean, it kind of felt like they could have rubbed more salt into the United wounds if they wanted to, uh, yet they didn't. I wouldn't say that they exactly, you know, had themselves on a leash, but, you know, it was almost like, uh, you know, they didn't quite want to necessarily go for the jugular, even though, uh, you know, four 0 is a, a massively heavy uh, score, final yeah, I was, score. I wanted to, uh, the jugular four nil Liverpool Manchester United. That's rub. That's salt in the wounds. As a United fan, that is oof. The fact that it wasn't ten, I'm grateful for. But yeah, four nil in the Premier League. Ouch. You could tell when it got to four that they suddenly clicked again because they thought actually we could do them five nil home and away here, and that was certainly there was a few minutes when uh, Salah had scored the fourth, which I, I hated because um, you'd had 
all all of the starting front three had scored one and assisted another, and Salah ruined the the uh, ruined the, the satisfaction of that. But for a minute, they were thinking, yeah, no, actually, we'd quite like five at home and and five away. But I do agree with you, JJ, that like uh, there was certainly a moment uh, early in the second half, and you could see like Van Dyke getting absolute pelters from Klopp where they needed to switch on. But I just think part of that was that they they couldn't they didn't quite know how to process this sort of game. It was too easy for them. Um, you know, this is more like kind of how you see it sometimes, don't you? When like City, City are often quite guilty of this of like two nil up against a good team, uh, an average team, sorry, and they just make it a bit more difficult for themselves. And and that felt like what Liverpool were doing. But then, you know, Mane's excellent goal and they were cruising again. And I I I, I hear that. But, oh, this Manchester United team, it, just the display today, it, it was like watching the walking wounded. And in some ways, I wonder if the Liverpool players felt sorry for them. And when you're on the field and you're seeing a team just wilt like United did, there comes that decision and that fine line that you walk of, all right, ref, just blow the whistle. Let's move on to the next match. And there also comes of, you know what? These are one of our biggest rivals in history. Let's put them to the sword. And that fourth goal, seeing it 4-0, that sends a a message to the rest of the Premier League, most importantly, Manchester City, that, hey, this title race is going to go down to the wire. I said it before on Kegelasso. I'll say it again. When Liverpool put in this sort of performance against Leeds United and beat them, I believe it was 6-0 at home, that was a, that was a championship level performance. That's what champions do: is when they smell blood in the water, they make you pay, and they just have the audacity in big games to say, you know what? There's another gear we can go to. We're in third gear. We can take it to fourth or fifth. And this Liverpool team is one of the scariest teams in the world right now. That we should also say that um, you mentioned going up that level and getting those goals. They've then got a plus nine goal difference advantage mm-hmm. on on Man City, obviously. We know City can can cut into that quite swiftly if they if they find the right opponent. But functionally, that's another point. You know, the they're obviously two points ahead, um, and we don't know. You know, who knows how this season will end and, and what will decide it. But basically, they've tonight they've earned themselves what may as well be an extra point. Mm. Well, I, I yeah. love I love the I love the point you made there. And sorry to interrupt, JJ, but could that draw against Manchester City? Could that be the result that pips? the title and puts the pressure because that draw puts the pressure all on Manchester city Mm. city's been in front for most of the entire season doing it without a center forward. But all it takes is for one slip up injuries to Kevin De Bruyne injuries to Kyle Walker. All it takes is for one slip up now where that draw looks like three points instead of one in a game where they didn't play their best in a game where city probably should have won. And I think, could we be talking about that at the end of the season? I'm going to turn the order around and I'm going to go to Mike first uh, and then to James. I mean, do you think that part of the the result here is caused by the fact that Liverpool still have something to play for? They have their European season as well as fighting for the title race, whereas United, you know, there there is very little little that would uh, motivate them to to continue performing. Uh, You're left to play for this campaign. I think that, yes, Liverpool have so much to play for, but starting with United, they're, they're a team in disarray. And when your leading goal scorer has a personal issue, a family issue like that, it's just gut-wrenching whenever you lose a loved one, especially just 
one of your children that's it's just gut-wrenching that affects the player that affects the entire camp it affects the entire locker room it affects the manager as a manager now you're going in those are goals you don't have and as teammates it it, it weighs on you because as teammates you have kids it weighs on you in the midst of a really difficult season to begin with let alone you're going up against your arch rivals in liverpool and for liverpool they are a team that they, they're playing with a point to prove. So much has been said about this is Manchester City season. Can they do the unthinkable and go and win that Champions League, the coveted Champions League? Can they do this? And Liverpool, they've had such a swift turnaround. And this is a Liverpool team that sustained a lot of injuries last year. A lot of naysayers, a lot of doubters saying, ah, but they won the Premier League in a COVID season. Can they do it in a season where there's fans in the stands? And their manager is just getting the best out of them. I thought they were very smart in the January transfer window to go after Luis Diaz, a player that just as a Manchester United fan, it was banging my head on the door screaming, why are we not going after players like this that don't cost you 120 million euros? Liverpool have been smart in the transfer window to add depth. And they did that with Diego Jota, another January transfer window signing. They're using the market to just just intelligently in summer and in the January transfer window. And it's, it's making all the difference. It's yielding good fruit. I think you could make the case that they have four of the best 10, probably, probably even less than 10, four of the best 10 forwards in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Luis Diaz is playing so well. I mean, we saw him at, saw him at, on, at Wembley on, on Saturday and he, he is a joy. He's the sort of player that, you know, has you laughing in your seat. He's playing so well that he's keeping keeping Diogo Jota out of the team. Mane's doing the same. You know, Salah is, is back back among the goals and surely be running back into form soon. You know, that is an awe-inspiring array of options. And, you know, further back, you've got Thiago in, in the form of his life since coming to Liverpool at the very least. Um, you know, Fabinho, Henderson, there were significant... You know, he made two changes in key areas. Um, with Joel Matip and and uh, Jordan Henderson coming in, and Liverpool were better, if anything, than they they were in in taking apart City. This this team is is in the groove. I still think they have the tougher run in. I still think you know not just uh, not just the the Merseyside derby, which I think they'll find quite easy, but Newcastle, Tottenham, with something to play for. I still favor favor City, but right mm-hmm. now. Liverpool have got the weapons to win every single game between now and the end of the season. I'm glad that you mentioned Liverpool's attacking array because I was going to save this question to last minute, but I may as well throw it in now. Normally around these kind of big games, you see a lot of stuff going around on social media, like how many players from one team would get into the starting 11 of the other team. And I think it's a legitimate question we can ask at this moment in time about you know this United side you know, how many of those players would get anywhere near, uh, you know, the Liverpool, maybe even squad, let alone starting eleven? None. Absolutely none. Mm. <laughs> it's not even close. <laughs> and I, if you have that United squad at full fitness, it's still none. And I, I think we can take maybe three or four that kind of like get off the two or two or three that get off the bench. Like mm. Bruno Fernandez has just really fallen off a cliff. Uh, I have to say, I, I think he's been quite poor this season, even though the numbers look good. I think it's a lot. there's a lot of wasted possessions that come in, in creating those numbers. Um, that midfield, 
I, I was thinking this, you know, I mean, I'm sure JJ, you'll, you'll have your views on Paul Pogba as well. But when he came off, and I feel like maybe that's the last we'll see of Paul Pogba in a Manchester United shirt, and it was him being subbed off, having spent 10 minutes next to Nemanja Matic, who wants to go but should have gone years ago and probably shouldn't have been signed in the first place because he was too old and signed just for Jose Mourinho. And I just thought, have we ever seen Paul Pogba put in a position to play like the Paul Pogba we saw at Juventus, like the Paul Pogba we sometimes see with France? Has he ever, and his career is now like, you know, he's looking at his post-prime years coming around the bend soon. And I don't think we've ever in a Manchester United shirt seen a run of games where Pogba has been put in a position to be his best self. He's not blameless, but like for me, most of the blame goes to United. I know I veered off track there, but he's another that you would think. And certainly a few years ago, Klopp would have, would have surely been dying for a player like Pogba, but probably doesn't get in their squad now. Well, I, I want to address the Paul Pogba scenario and, and situation. It's it's player and club alike that are at fault for this. I think of the distraction of the contract situation. Will he sign? Won't he sign? And Ole was getting some of the best out of Paul Pogba that any manager has gotten from him for a stretch. You saw him play in a diamond midfield, which Juventus in that last run in 2015, when they made the Champions League final, they played the diamond midfield. They played in the Champions League final. They played in the semifinal, a diamond midfield. Paul Pogba playing on the left-hand side. Ole put him on that side. And you started seeing glimpses of that magic. That first game of the season, Paul Pogba playing in that box-to-box role, playing with freedom. The first game under Mourinho, where they, they just went, they ran riot. You saw Paul Pogba, the flashes of Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba's biggest out is the French national team. At the end of the day, he's a World Cup champion, and he can save himself for the World Cup. He's, he's going to be in Deschamps' plans no matter what. And now, has he earned it this year? Absolutely not. Because of injuries, because of form, because his mind is somewhere else, because of pending contract stuff. I think Paul Pogba is still a world-class player. I think a world-class player is in there. But sometimes you just have to cut your losses as players and club I think this Paul Pogba scenario is dragged on way too long. I think if you were going to cut your losses, last season would have been the best possible time. You came in second place. You got you squeezed out just about every bit you're going to get out of a player like that with everything that's gone on at Manchester United, and then you move on. Now, regarding the question at hand of which players make the bench, oh, man, how do you say hell no? In different languages, Spanish, French, you know, uh, JJ, you can help with French. I, I think across the board, <laughs> it's just hell no. Um, it's, they couldn't even, players would be struggling to make the 18 for Liverpool in their current form. Now, these United players in form, these United players on their any given day, Bruno Fernandez definitely, I think, would make it in form. Um, he's a player that gives you something different. But since Cristiano Ronaldo has come to Manchester United, Bruno Fernandez seems a shadow of himself. There's a correlation there. When Ronaldo hasn't played, Bruno Fernandez is a goal-scoring midfielder that shows up because the focus of the team isn't get the ball to Cristiano at all costs. A Cristiano Ronaldo that's scoring gold and making things happen for himself is a limited Bruno Fernandez. Yeah, that's uh, I'm, there's some really good points for, from both of you. I do agree with Mike uh, regarding Pogba. 
Uh, and it feels really frustrating because it's almost like you knew that this was going to be the outcome with Pogba way, uh, you know, before this point in the season. I mean, even before the winter transfer window, I think we all knew that Pogba was almost certainly going to be leaving United uh, at the end of the season at the very latest. So, you know, now we've we've got to look at the task at hand, you know, at the risk of turning this into just a, uh, a chat all about Manchester United and their problems. You know, Eric Ten Hag, obviously we're still waiting for official confirmation, uh, but he is going to be uh, at some point the the new manager of Manchester United. That's what we're, we're waiting for to happen. You know, looking at this, this situation that he's going to walk into this mess, you know, where does he even start with all of this, James? Uh, go to RB Leipzig. <laughs> <laughs> I, I that that I, you know, he he's a coach. I think we should say first of all, he's worked in a really coherent structure at Ajax that finds top young talent and gives them to him, and they fit into a predetermined style of play and a fashion. And with that, he creates magic. You know, we were, we've all been sitting sitting here for the whole first half of the season. We were all raving about Ajax. And annoyingly, we were made to look a little foolish by Benfica. But you still can't argue with, you know, the performances with the results over years. And, you know, taking one team to the Champions League semifinals, then coming back and doing it again. If I were Eric Ten Hag, and obviously he, he must feel he has these assurances, if I were at Ten Hag, I would not have taken this job because United aren't in a position to employ a coach like him. They have not got a structure in place and they will damage his reputation. That's all I can say on the matter. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Michael Hood, are you going to be bringing Edwin van der Sar with you if you're Eric Ten Hag? Oh, man. <laughs> van der Sar, Frankie de Jong, call the band back together. Everyone except Overmars. We won't even go near that situation. But... Ah, you know, Benj, you and I don't agree on quite a few things. The clubs we support, you know, what we have for breakfast. Is it tomatoes or tomatoes? A Birmingham (laughs) accent. We do agree on our style. I love your shirt. Another class James Benz shirt, by the way. I agree with you on this. I had said this before. Right manager, wrong time for Manchester United. The club's in chaos the first order of business, now that it looks like he's most likely going to take this job, you have to address the chaos. You have to address the Cristiano Ronaldo situation. If You have to decide ahead of time and make that known to club and player. If Does he stay? Is he in your plans? Is he not? There's already rumors coming out that he's addressed that, saying Cristiano Ronaldo is not in my plans. I think because of that, you're seeing a cameo performance from Ronaldo to bid for his next contract potentially, in what we saw in the Norwich game, scoring a hat-trick. Cristiano Ronaldo is chasing the record books. He's one amazing player, a player who has defied the goal-scoring charts and just incredible. But I I just think he's a player who wasn't really ever in Manchester United's plans, and it was a forced move, and you're seeing the domino effect. You have to decide on how quickly you're going to get Paul, but not if, how quickly you're going to get Paul Pogba out of Manchester that those two players have to be addressed. You also have to take care of the Marcus Rashford situation. Marcus Rashford looks a shadow of himself. He looks a player that has lost a ton of confidence, if not all confidence. He, he, he's, not, he's not really running in beyond. When he checks, 
he's kind of checking, but he doesn't really want the ball. And I saw flashes of that in some of the recent games coming off the bench. And it, it might be time for Marcus Rashford to either find greener pastures elsewhere. I never thought I'd be saying that after that PSG knockout round penalty kick that sent him through where Marcus Rashford was being dubbed world-class and rightfully so at that time. I think those three players, you start with that. And of course, number one on the list outside of Ronaldo, you have to address the Harry Maguire situation for the love of God and whatever it is everyone else believes in. If Harry Maguire is captaining Manchester United again next year, oh boy, I'll be doing more than ranting on the Kegelasso show. Uh, you don't want to see that side of me. This water <laughs> bottle is going to be filled with adult water. Well, I'm intrigued, but uh, you know, we this is just one part of uh, a, a big midweek slate of games. So let's have a, a quick look ahead to, to Wednesday's clashes. And we've touched on Manchester City uh, already. So let's start with them against uh, Brighton. Uh, James Bench, what are you expecting uh, from this game? More of the same for, from City? Or are you expecting them to run up a cricket score and try to eat into uh, the goal difference you spoke about that Liverpool uh, are sitting on right now? I don't think this will be the game to to score lots of goals. I think you'll be pleased if you get a win here. And I, I'm sure City will, but this is going to be tough. Um, we saw against Spurs last week that Brighton are really coming into their own. They're a hard team to score against. They don't give up lots of chances. They keep the ball well. Um, their real issues, they don't always take the chances they make, but they have done in the last few weeks. So I would take very little for granted here. City will probably get the job done, but this is going to be a tough one. And it, it's one where they might drop points. Hmm. And I, I love this slate of weekends. and I love this time of year in the English Premier League because now you're playing for things that matter. And this year, what makes it so different from previous years is there's battles at the top and there's battles in the relegation zone and there's battles for Europe. It's just such the most, one of the most competitive years in Premier League history. Keep an eye on that Chelsea-Arsenal match as well. Yes, there's a lot at stake with this title run-in, and I, I agree with you, Benj, that City, they're going to have to earn this one against Brighton, and I think they'll be up to task. Brighton's going to make it very hard. Um, they have Neil Mopway to come off the bench. He's lost form a bit, but he's a player that all it takes is a half a chance. I love, I've been a big Trossard fan. I think whether you play him as attacking mid, I think a big team's going to come for him if not this summer, next year, most likely. But keep an eye on those first two matches in the lineup. Chelsea Arsenal. Oh, boy. Those Gunner fans. You Gooners. Oh, baby. You were spared your blushes because a one Tottenham decided to get very spursy at the weekend. It's, it's, it's just, I think it's going to go down to the wire at the top. I'm going to go down the wire for fourth place. And, of course, go down the wire in the relegation battle. Well, I'll hand over the final say uh, on Chelsea Arsenal to to James Bench. <laughs> yeah, I mean Arsenal pretty much need a miracle. Um, the possibility that Takahiro Tomiyasu might be back it would help. Um, certainly, they they look like they lack a bit of balance at fullback, but without Party and without Tierney, this team is a, a shadow of itself. Mikel Arteta is just coming up with ever more complicated ways to try and get back to something that works. I. I mean, they have to get something. A point really would be a, a massive boost, but I, I can't see it. Mm. All right. Well, Jonathan Johnson here with James Benj and Mike LaHood. We're going to take a quick break here on Kegolasa and we'll be right back with you. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, everybody. Jonathan Johnson here, joined by James Benj and Mike LaHood on Kegolesso. And now we've been chatting about the Premier League. We're going to look at Inter Milan against AC Milan in the Coppa Italia semi-finals. Uh, we've got Juventus uh, and Fiorentina to look forward to, but we'll get back to that later. Uh, and in the first of the semi-finals, you had Inter running out 3-0 winners against AC Milan. Big result that, obviously, uh, you know, Milan derby, uh, you know, prizes don't come much bigger uh, than uh, place in the semifinals. So Inter through uh, AC Milan out and Inter continuing uh, this this resurgence that they're uh, enjoying of late. Mike LaHood, uh, I'm going to go to you first and uh, and see what you make of the the result and the performance and just genuinely, generally the way that, that Inter's, uh, you know, shaping up towards the end of this season. First and foremost, it's Lataro Martinez's world, and we're all just living in it when it comes to the Coppa Italia. World-class, first-class performance by him. A player who's been inconsistent at different times in this season. I think it was a gamble to play Joaquin Correa and Martinez, two Argentine players who understand each other. A lot of times when you have your countrymen side by side, there's creativity, there's understanding that sparks, and just lethal, lethal that goal that he had, what a golasso. First-time strike, full-time volley. Wow, just golf clap for that. But what struck me about this game was that fight, that belief, that just togetherness that you saw at Anfield in the Champions League, it's carried through. They didn't get, it, they didn't get through to the, to the next round, but there was a statement. There was a level of belief that I think has really been contagious for the center team of, you know what, if we can go and do that and have that sort of performance in Anfield, we're not out of this yet. And they were dominant in this game. Yeah, I mean, Lautaro is, as you say, he's been up and down, but I, I thought two phenomenal finishes. I really like the, uh, the the first one, not just for his finish, but you see how Inter kind of falling into those three five two grooves of using the wingbacks to really stretch any defense as wide as it can go and you see the ball comes from the left ends up with Damian on the right and AC Milan have just been pulled too far wide and, and Lautaro then has, has got the space to get an excellent volley away I mean I think think maybe he could have taken a touch but all the better for us uh, viewing public that that he didn't yeah into look at a groove like it's just result after result after result I think the title winning mentality that they built under Antonio Conte, sometimes it just clicks back together and it feels like that's where Inter are and, you know, where teams like Milan and Napoli feel pressure because they've not done it before. Inter know exactly what is needed to, to get across the finishing line. 
Oh, and you see Inter as well when you're looking at the Serie A table now up in second, yeah. uh, just two points behind uh, AC Milan. I think maybe the most surprising thing about this was the fact that it was nil-nil from the first leg and then for Inter to just go and blow uh, AC Milan out the way they did in this second leg. I mean, you, you've got Juve Fiorentina to look forward to tomorrow. Juve already one goal up in that. But, you know, Inter, it just feels like they're cut now potentially going to round into maybe enough form just to to sneak uh, the title away from Milan. Uh, you know, they've got that game in hand. I was speaking about it on the, the pod a week, or, a week or so ago. It just feels like it's going to be uh, crucial now. And this... Uh, you know, inter side. Uh, you know, it might not be the the sort of the the, the traditional uh, trophy hall that they're that they're expecting with uh, uh, you know without the the, the super copper. But still, uh, you know, they they still have potential to to bring home plenty of silverware uh, on the Italian front this season. And I think it's certainly something that many of us weren't expecting to be saying about them uh, at the beginning of this campaign, guys. Yeah, I I think. This is an inter team that your manager left. That's a big loss when you have a title winning manager, someone like an Antonio Conte, who brought in players that he did. Your leading goal scorer, Syria, Syria, sounds such an American voice, Syria, Syria player of the year, Romelu Lukaku, went to London, sitting on the bench at Chelsea now. But those are two massive pieces that would cripple most teams around the world. Imagine if. Robin Lewandowski left Bayern. Unthinkable. So to have this sort of resurgence at this point in the season, to be able to be on the cusp of not only potentially make it interesting, but almost maybe winning a title, but also being able to do a double, that's miraculous. Yeah, I, uh, I sorry, I'm slip of the tongue when uh, when I said that Inter weren't uh, Super Copper winners. They, of course, they were. Uh, James Benj. Now, looking ahead to uh, to the, the the next semi between Juve and Fiorentina, uh, you know, what are you expecting from this one? And also, uh, you know, looking a bit further ahead to the final, uh, you know, who would you say would be your your favorite? You know especially if Juventus make good on that one goal lead that they've got from the first leg. Yeah, well, it's it's Max Allegri defending a one goal lead, isn't it? So I think we know how tomorrow's game is going to go. This is his idea of of heaven, isn't it? Like, you know, just give me something to to sit back on and I'll, I'll get Chiellini and, and the gang to do the rest. Um, going into the final, it's a tough one, isn't it? I think Juventus are still a work in progress. And whilst... Inter are not what they were. Um, like kind of as Mike said, they know they know what they're doing. They know where you know what to get back to. I think Juventus are still, um, you know, trying to work out what are our new principles post winning everything. You know, as as we try and develop a new team. So I would feel pretty confident that kind of if it's the Coppa Italia final, I think it'll be that Inter would be Inter would be my favorites. Um but you never know. I mean Fiorentina have have been, you know, surprising everyone. Obviously they lost Vlavic, but uh, is it Cabral? Really excellent pickup for them. Um and you know we know how much Fiorentina hate Juventus and, and even without their own fans in the Artemio Frankie, they are going to be determined to uh, to ruin Juventus's party and ruin Vlavic's party, no doubt. 
Mm, I Mike, just want to add any, yeah, go oh, you, you know, I always have an extra point or six <laughs> <laughs> uh, must be the coffee. Just, just to add, you know, what, what a final that would be. Should Juve get through, I expect Juventus to get through, uh, but Max Allegri, this, this could be something to salvage for his season, his first season back at Juventus and uh, Allegri is a savvy enough manager that once Juve get in the final, he'll have something. He'll be, he'll look to be the disruptor for Inter Milan. But Inzaghi, he's just what he was able to do with Lazio and just some of the cup run-ins that they were able to have under a Lazio team that didn't have the same sort of stars that this Inter team has. I think it's going to be one heck of a matchup, but I, I, I just, I can't help but favor Inzaghi. Just, he's able to just get more out of players and just get them back to resurgent form than I think maybe a, you know, Max Allegri might be able to. It's it's been a topsy turvy sort of season for Juve. Just when you think they're about to get going, something happens, and uh, man, this is why you play the games. But I just for this to be happening in Syria, where now there's excitement in the cup run-in and there's excitement in the league run-in. This is why I just can't stop using the word resurgence. There's a resurgence in Italian football again, and I love it. Well, we're not quite at the moment uh, whether they're going to be deciding the silverware just yet, but some potential silverware uh, up for grabs this week is in Ligue 1, where PSG finally look like they're about to clinch a record equaling 10th title. Uh, they beat Marseille over the weekend in Le Classique, and now they've got Angers in midweek and Lens coming up at the weekend. Uh, you know, We'll see if they're able to, to, to clinch the title in either of those two games. They'd be without Neymar and Messi if they do manage to do it uh, on Wednesday against Angers, but I'm not going to get your guys thoughts on the match there's a potential bit of controversy brewing in France about whether PSG or not end up putting the star above the badge on the shirt you know quite trivial uh, to some but also when there's so much debate surrounding PSG and how seriously they take domestic competition uh, you know many feel like it's it's a bit disrespectful towards uh, French football that they wouldn't do the same as Saint-Étienne and I'm actually just wondering what you guys would would make of that you know do you think it's something that uh you know the 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 psg should be doing or you know is it each to their own because there there is some talk about maybe the fact that they have the star sort of inserted on the sleeve into the into the league badge but uh you know there are many feeling they should do it the traditional way sort of like when a club wins a european title or when they win 10 domestic uh, titles that they have that star inserted above the badge. So I was just wondering, uh, James Benz, your thoughts on that? I think all the star stuff is complete nonsense. Um, I think well, it works in Serie A, doesn't it? Because there's like a clearly defined ten titles. You put a, a ten Scudetti. You put the the star above your badge. Kind of <laughs> in the rest of the world, you kind of see any old nonsense goes. I seem to remember Manchester United. Um, like in the early 2000s when they had or at some stage put one star above their badge uh, and Liverpool just responded by putting three above it. Um, I think the PSG, like it, having that star would sort of serve to emphasize that like for me, it would serve to emphasize that the defining project of this club uh, winning the Champions mm-hmm. League has not happened yet. Um, and, you know, who knows when it will happen, if ever. Hate to break it to you, JJ. Like it's um it it's just it, you know that it's I, I think you could have five stars if you want have have ten have none um it yeah it's 
<laughs> oh, shout out to, to Rafa Cardenas for, you know, your comment of PSG should put a barrel of uh, oil uh, on their shirts. But I, I think when I think of this, I think you have to respect tradition. You have to respect football. Yes, your, your, your prized possession is the UEFA Champions League, but don't belittle winning a, a league title. You're in France. You, you can't help but play your opponents. You, you have to play in Ligue 1. That's the league you belong to. Now, should anything change, you can maybe go to FIFA or UEFA and petition if you want to you know, have more respect around the league that you play for and petition to go to the La Liga and whatnot. You, you can't do that. I think you have to honor. I think it's just respect for football, respect for the rest of the league, because at any given moment, the tide will turn and the tide can turn. It happens to every team. We look at the Premier League teams. We look at even Barcelona. They went through a dip in you know, the, the, the mid-90s after you know, winning the European Cup. And then they went through kind of the forgotten age. I think respect the game and do the honorable thing. Put the star. Different leagues do different things. But a 10th title, that's, that's amazing. Is, and, it, is it like a defined tradition, JJ? Because, I mean, as you say, like, if they're matching St. Etienne's record, I guess St. Etienne are the only one who's who've got, who've done well enough to get there. Right, I'm glad you brought that up because you've got St. Etienne who've got the star above their badge for the league. And then you've got Marseille, PSG's bitter rivals who have the star, but for the Champions League. The Which only... they really shouldn't have, <laughs> let's be honest. PSG are playing yeah. a barrel of oil. Maybe Marseille <laughs> need to have a syringe. Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, this, this, this is another part of the debate. You know, would PSG be more willing to put the star on if they had won the Champions League, say, back in 2020? And I guess the only way that we'll find out is, depending on which one of however many kits PSG decides to have next season <laughs> actually has a, a star featured on the front of it, uh, and whether PSG or not actually win the Champions League in the next couple of years, and then face that dilemma themselves so we'll move on from the from, from the psg badge chat to uh one of our final topics of the evening and that's fulham everybody's favorite yo-yo team uh clinching promotion <laughs> back to the premier league alexander mitrovic has been filling his boots again this season so the win over preston that sees fulham uh the cottagers confirmed back to the premier league which means that everybody will definitely have that on their away days list for yes. next season because we know that crazy Raven Cottage is one of the favourite venues for the getting a swimming pool James well. Bench. <laughs> <laughs> they're getting a swimming pool by the Thames. I, it's like they're just completely leaning into let's be the best away day in all of football. Um, like, Mike, we're going to have to get you out to Craven Cottage. It is the loveliest ground you'll oh, I'm, I'm ever go to. <laughs> Sadly, I, and I feel like we might need to do it quickly if you want to see top-tier football. It's hard to know because, like... Marco Silva's done a fantastic job and, you know, getting Mitrovic, you know, to nearly a 40-goal season or a 40-goal season, I think it is 40 now, it's a remarkable achievement. And I know that Mitrovic was pretty unhappy with Scott Parker um, when they got relegated last season, thought he never got the chance. I think the truth is in that first season they were up, he did get looks and, you know, Fulham did not manage that season at all well, but he didn't really... He looks like he's going to be a striker that's trapped between being too good for the championship and not quite good enough for the Premier League. I just, 
there's there's good players, but a, a fair few of those players we've seen not quite do it in the Premier League. We've seen Fulham mess up their recruitment. And then even the players that they got right last time when I thought that Ariola, Anderson, Tosin Adarabayo, good players. It just never quite worked. I do hope I'm wrong. Um, and at least now they have time. In years gone by, it was sort of, you know, it was all coming together a bit quickly with the COVID season. Then we're winning the playoffs. It all eats into your time. They've known for a very long time that they're going to the Premier League. So good recruitment and keeping and trusting in good players. They might prove me wrong, but I I fear that come 2023, 20, 2024, I fear they'll be back in the championship. Mm. I think they're going to learn from what they did wrong last time, which was they had money and they, they tried to throw money to solve their relegation problems. They just had an influx of foreign talent that that I think isn't always the answer to, to survival. Very rarely, I think, is the answer. You have to have that fine balance between English talent, those the grafters, the, the players that are just going to be your character guys, and then those sort of international flavor, just creative artists. Of course, we're going to just continue that PSG vein with my fake French <laughs> accents. I know, Benz, you always love when I, I pull a foreign accent, so I'll stop right there. Um, but I, you know, this is monumental for Fulham fans. I want to give a quick shout out to uh, my boy, Cam Norris. Cam, I know you watch the show. So shout out to you. I know you've been a, just a faithful Fulham fan and Fulham fans everywhere. This is a day of celebration. It seems right to have them back in the Premier League. Craven Cottage, I've never been, but all of my friends and even family that I have in London, they say it's, it's just just a hollowed ground, just famed ground. And Craven Cottage and the English Premier League, they just seem to go together. Um, and I'm, I'm delighted for this news. Well, speaking of going together, uh, we'll move on to one final topic, uh, and that was the, uh, the 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 disappointing news, I guess, uh, on Monday that the one 0 defeat to Queens Park Rangers confirmed that Derby County won't be pulling off the unthinkable and surviving in the Championship. Wayne Rooney's Rams, uh, you know, will be dropping down to to League One. They had made it look like it might be a possibility them sneaking uh, survival in the Championship, but ultimately uh, it wasn't to be. Uh, James Benj, where does this, uh, you know, leave Wayne Rooney uh, and Derby now? I mean, we've seen Rooney, uh, you know, stay loyal to Derby uh, at, at difficult times. But, you know, is he really going to stick around uh, and rebuild in League One? Or has he done enough to enhance his reputation that he might get at least a shot with uh, a, a club in the championship? I don't know, perhaps a club that ends up being League. relegated. I, I think he has shown a wisdom about his own career and i'll come on to talk about what he's done at derby as well that kind of makes you wonder i don't think he will rush for any job he's been very clear that his long-term goal is to be manchester united manager and he's taken a great first step at derby not just and and you know really not just the results although you, you know you have to say you, you're talking about a you know huge point deductions they would be comfortably in mid-table were it not for the actions of, of individuals that were responsible for this club, most of all Chairman Mel Morris, long before Rooney was in charge. And obviously I think they will be hoping, and it's not quite been quite clarified, but there's like one final points deduction to come. And I think, you know, and I'm sure they will push to have that implemented this season. And I do hope the EFL and the many parties that feel aggrieved about money that Derby owes them, I hope they all see sense and just say, let's 
start Derby with a clean slate in League One next season. But Rooney has has earned the right that I th- it wouldn't surprise me if Burnley come calling. It wouldn't surprise me if yeah. uh, you know maybe if it, say Chris Wilder goes to Burnley if Middlesbrough come calling. Good teams, big teams, maybe maybe Everton next season because uh, Frank Lampard's not wanting it. But I think Rooney would be kind of well advised to to take his time because good jobs will come. He has been a real galvanizing force. You saw that when he was talking to fans at the training ground after relegation was confirmed. I didn't. I don't think. I don't think all of us saw great management potential in him. It's hard when you're such a natural talent, but. Uh, you know, he, he, he's proved us all wrong. And despite getting relegated, I think his reputation has been hugely enhanced by a magnificent job, you know, real grace under pressure by Rooney. And I'm certain he will have his pick of jobs very soon. Mm. I'm glad you said Everton, because that's a team that I'm keeping my eyes on, depending on how they finish the Premier League season. And if Everton stay up, they can thank Rafi Braniak and the entire Manchester United team for being the spark to their Premier League survival hopes. So Evertonians just helped you out there. If they don't, I would go after Wayne Rooney. Just the character that he showed to stay with the job and to to just leave it this long with so much disarray and potential distractions going on in the background. It says a lot about the type of manager he could be and potentially could be. But at the same time, I'm not sure he's ready for a Premier League job just yet. I like to see him have a full season with support, with funding, with backing, and getting the players that he wants. And then if he's able to to push for a playoff spot, he's able to push for promotion, then I think he'll be ready to do the business in the Premier League. Well, that just about brings us to the end of our topics. So uh, I'll go around one more time just for, for final thoughts from uh, from both of you before we say goodbye. So start with uh, James. Yeah, I mean, still can't just just cannot get over how funny Manchester United are. Um, I see that Mo Salah is now talking about how easy they make it for him to play football. So, uh, well done, Man United. It's been a great laugh. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, I see that comment. I agree with that comment. And now, because of you, Benj, I can't wait for the Chelsea Arsenal match. Come on, <laughs> Chelsea! Come on, Chelsea! Six nil to the Blues. Now, I, I agree with you. That that statement is very true. Now, I agree with you. Um, and it, it was hard to watch Manchester United today as a Manchester United fan. Sad to say, it was only, it felt like a matter of time. I was hoping they'd put up more of a fight than uh, four minutes and uh, potentially 53 seconds. But for Liverpool, seeing them just take it to another level, never thought I'd say this, but this makes the title run in that much more engaging, that much more entertaining. And I, I, I just, cannot believe that we are talking about Liverpool in this way with how they started the season, especially compared to how Manchester City started the season, just widening that gap. And you can only play the teams in front of you. And oh, there's just an element about history to be made. But let's shift a tiny bit past the Premier League. Should Liverpool not get through Real for whatever reason, think the wheels could potentially come off. So that, I think that tie there, that could have an implication and will have an implication on their Premier League fate. 
Uh, interesting final point from Mike. Well, that's uh, all for today's episode of uh, Kegolasso. Thanks a lot for for tuning in and joining James, Mike, and I. Uh, Luis Miguel Echegaray will be back, but uh, until then, you've got uh, us filling in the gaps. So thanks again for tuning in. Remember to like and subscribe. And until next time, it's goodbye from us. <laughs>